Hello and welcome to episode 140 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual dad. Hmm? My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. What's up, SG? Welcome back. <laughs> Missed you, Stan. It's good to be back. Stan, we gave you a vacation and you squandered it by just coming back in like three weeks. And also by just spending most of it staying up all night feeding someone. And playing arena. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have a child sleeping on you that you don't want to disturb, playing arena on your cell phone is such a blessing. Tell Mark Rosewater. I will. He's not returning my phone calls, though. He probably hated my Roseanne spec scripts. Exactly. Well, you got to stop calling him asking him for feeding advice because his <laughs> kids are grown adults now, I think. So he doesn't got it anymore. Also with us, the original dad, Dave Harburger. Yeah, the god dad there. That's me. Stan, we're excited to see you. Boy, we sound rusty in this intro, but Stan, <laughs> we're excited to see you today. Thank you so much for coming back and gracing us with your presence. And we are going to make the most of it. We're just going to skip everything and go right to the right to the break. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead, Stan. Do your yeah, thing. No, I'm happy to be back. I asked to come back because I just had a lot of time to play Arena. I've been enjoying exploring Historic. So I put together a breakdown that my co-host generously let me make my triumphant return to share. So yeah, today we're going to break down Historic Metagame. What's changed after Jumpstart Horizons? And we're going to look at some of the new decks that have emerged since the release of this supplemental online-only set. Look at some of the cards that are making an impact. And really what you should expect as a player on the ladder in Arena right now. Sam, do you think think this is going to be the better part of the episode? Or the spoilers from Return to Innistrad, Revenge of Avacyn's Collar, the Werewolves Strike Back, Electric Boogaloo? (laughs) I heard that they almost went with that title. That's one of the things that I pitched to Rosewater. Spooky, scary. That he decided he didn't want to hear from me anymore. He said, Stan, the packaging's already been done. It's been done for a year. We can't, we can't change it now. We can make the Russian one that, though. Stan, how many hours of sleep are you on? <laughs> to answer your question, I would say that I took a nap this evening. Like I took a solid two-hour nap with the boy. Dangerous. So I feel very well-rested right now. But we're averaging like five, six hours a night, give or take. He's pretty good at sleeping for his age. That's he good. will wake us up every three or four hours on average. But last night, we fed him at like midnight. And then we had to wake him up at five o'clock. Because we were yeah. like, oh my God, this kid is still asleep. We need to put some milk in his belly or he's going to flip out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you what. Uh, it doesn't get much more than five hours. I mean, I'm still clocking about five hours of sleep a night. So, you know, get, you'll get your body will catch up. You'll yeah, be good. I guess. If he is truly our kid, he's going to learn to sleep in sooner than later because <laughs> mom and dad do love to get nine, 10 hours on weekends when possible. That's true. Good luck. Thanks. All right. Before more dad talk, let's housekeep a little bit. Shout out to the newest patron to join the Dive Down Nation. Anonymous, please. I'm not sure if that's their actual name or if they just prefer to stay anonymous. So let's say an anonymous donor joined the Dive Down Nation. In fact, we'll even just say that they were... A please. That's what their name was. That's a little too obvious. How about how about just anonymous P? Anonymous P. Oh, that's way better. Okay. <laughs> anonymous P, thank you so much. That's my favorite 90s band. Also, thank you to some new reviews in Apple Podcasts from Sundering Titan, the card, Snapcaster Phage, uh the other card, JG87 IROC. I really, really, really hope this person has an 87 IROC. 
and Orbawak. You know what's funny is that we got two of the three members of Len here. We got Anonymous P, who is the lead singer of Len, and JG87IROC, who was the, like, person who stood nearby and went, yeah! Wait, is, is Len the Steal My Sunshine band? Yes. Oh, yeah. Steal My Sunshine. If you'd like to join the Dive Down Nation, and listen, even though I haven't been on the show, I have been very active in the Definitely Discreet Discord, and you can join us in this Discord by finding us at patreon.com slash the dive down. I've been sharing pictures of my kid. We've been we've started a new dad or a, a parent group, the parenting channel. Oh yeah, I forgot I immediately muted and hid that one. It's been useful. Today we've just been complaining about how much daycare costs, so fun. Sometimes I post photos of dirty diapers and say, is this normal? Hey, at least you had a place to go. I had a lot of questions <laughs> when I was at your stage. I had nobody to ask. Join the dive down nation patreon.com slash the dive down yeah get chat about magic and also if you have any advice you need we'll take a shot at it also banner traders that's that's a thing that we have used for a long time you should use it as well if you use sign up code the dive down 2021 you get 15 percent off your first two months we get a little bit of a kickback Every month that you have that service, it's pretty sweet. It's a win-win situation. Uh, Manitrators has been killing it for a long time for us and for all of its users. The monthly tournament that they have that's totally free to play in, totally free to win prizes with, you get more prizes if you are a Manitrator subscriber, however. And this month, it is Pioneer. So if you've been waiting for a chance to test your metal in the hopefully uh, resurgent format of Pioneer, uh, check that out. It's another good reason to sign up. And with that, I think we're going to move on to the breakdown where Stan has so graciously put together some thoughts about the new historic format. And we've all hopped into historic again a little bit in the last week. So why don't we talk a little bit about what we've all been playing before we get into it. So Shane? Yeah, it's, it's all cool decks, Inc. Because all the decks are very cool especially my deck, uh, which is, I've been, I've been messing with this mono red madness, like discard synergy deck. And it's, you know, when, when you add five cards to the format that are explicitly designed to enable and support your strategy, and you still have faithless looting, a red based discard deck might even be good. You know, it might, it might be okay. And that's pretty good. So, so I've been playing a lot of that. Is it basically like Basking Root Walla, not bla- or Blazing Root Walla, yeah, Blazing Root Walla. and Hollow One, and yeah, that kind DRC of DRC and Unholy Heat and Fiery Temper is also added to the format. Season Pyromancer is also added to the format. Den of, Den of the Bugbear is fairly new, and I like that quite a bit, especially in a world of control, which we will talk about. But yeah, um, we can talk more about this deck later, perhaps, but... I never thought I would exile so many Season Pyromancers from my graveyard. Yeah. For what it's worth, I've also been playing a deck a lot like that the last two or three days. Uh, mine isn't quite as hard. It doesn't have Blazing Root Walla in it. It's not as hard on the discard theme. No Hollow Ones, no Phoenixes. But it is a kind of like red value aggro deck that I saw on Twitter. Uh, it's been fun to play for uh, Ramanap Ruins. And that's all I'll say about that. Yeah, Ramanap is so good. And Stan, you've been playing a lot, though. Yeah, I've been... Sneaking them in. I've been testing new decks. I've been brewing a little bit to try to metagame against the field, since we kind of have a pretty established format already. Oh, this guy brews. You gotta brew. By brewing, I mean, I'm just trying to find all the different types of decks that I can sneak in for main deck Mystical Disputes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's that's what brewing is, and how can I make the best mana base to do that? 
So I'll, I'll talk in more detail about some of these decks I've been playing, but like I've t- tried the Jeskai decks. I've been trying some shamans, uh, but my my primary go to is is still is it control? Just because I like playing the sprite dragons um, in a deck that, like I said, can play a lot of main deck counter magic. Awesome. Are these different takes on the meta that you're about to take us through? Are they time stamped by the time of day that you're online so that we can uh, <laughs> see what you're see what you're running into at 3 a.m. versus 9 a.m. versus 5 p.m. versus yeah? What's the 3 a.m. What's it feel like the European players are playing? That's what I want to know. Versus the Asian players, they're you all, know, all everybody in Japan and China logging in. Yeah, they're all playing Urza's Rage in in APAC and Bogles in Europe. Okay, let's let's stop making jokes. We need to talk about the the elephants in the room. We have two really good decks that are super popular, already pretty successful. Anyone who's been working up their way of the historic ladder will know what we're talking about. They are Jeskai decks, and the first one we're going to cover is Jeskai Indomitable Creativity. So this is basically an evolution of the old Velomachus Time Warp decks, but it's been reinvigorated since the banning of Time Warp with some new cards from Jumpstart Horizons, both new enablers and new payoffs that can all but win the game on the spot. So the big new enabler here is Hard Evidence, an MH2 card, single blue sorcery that makes a 3 crab and a clue token, which are both cards that you can sacrifice to Indomitable Creativity to cheat in a payoff. Yeah, this is, this is just a cardboard banker, right? Like this could just as easily be like Thraben Inspector or something like that. Sort of, but... but the, three t- the three toughness matters. Exactly. The three toughness evades... Like, and the fact that it's a spell and not a creature matters, of course, too, because you don't you don't want to hit the crab. You wanna you wanna go past it. But oh yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Also worth noting, the clue token can help you draw cards. You know, which is kind of cool. Can I read Intimidable Creativity real quick for people who haven't been paying attention? Just real fast. So this is basically a polymorph style card, and that's the type of deck that this is. You know, we've seen people doing similar ish things with. It's sort of like a cousin, a Cascade deck from Modern, too. So In the Middle Bill Creativity is a Mythic from Aether Revolt. Its casting cost is X, red, red, red. It's a sorcery, and it says, Destroy X target artifacts and or creatures. For each permanent destroyed this way, its controller reveals cards from the top of his or her library until an artifact or creature card is revealed and exiles that card. Those players put the exiled card onto the battlefield, then shuffle their libraries. So... Sounds complicated, but what is it really... What's the net-net of what that's trying to do, Stan? What you're trying to do is cheat in a giant finisher that's hard to interact with. So the new card from Jumpstart Horizons that we got is Sarah's Emissary. You may be familiar with this from Modern Horizons 2, from some of the reanimator decks. Four white, white, white for a 7-7 flyer. When it comes down, you choose a creature type. Or as it comes down, you choose a card type, rather. And you and creatures protection from the chosen card type i can't believe this card is good i gotta be <laughs> fully honest after playing historic for the first time in a while i was like that card doesn't seem that hard to beat it's really hard to beat yes yeah yes. especially uh, when you're playing a red deck and you have to have like two burn spells yeah yeah it's like impossible there it's especially impossible if your two burn spells are instance and the creativity player knows to name instance yeah, the creativity players that I kept playing over the last few days kept naming creature, creature against yeah. me because then I couldn't race them anymore. And then they're like, okay, draw some burn cards and kill me and we'll see where it goes. Right. But Pretty cool. So this deck is great for a couple of reasons. For one, it can play a very long, slow game with a pretty potent control strategy to back up this combo. So it's got a lot of the staples that you would find in 
classic Jeskai control. It's got wraths. It's got lightning helix and other point removal spells. It's got counter spells. Essentially, it keeps the board clear or more or less under control until you can get indomitable creativity online. Then it also has enough ample flex spots for things like shark typhoons or Teferi uh, hero dominaria um, to basically both give you an alternate win condition or just present some other thing to keep your opponents busy while you get your combo ready. Right. It has Narset quite often too mm-hmm. that I saw. And actually I saw Search for Iskanta a bunch of times in the ones that I saw, but I, I don't know if they all play it or not. But there's a whole bunch of those like wonderful blue control cards that are finding a home here. Right. And, and those see play frequently because they help you find your creativity. Um, and then post-board, you can replace your emissaries for other more relevant payoffs within the matchup. So something that comes up a lot is Elish Norn in creature matchups or Nezahal Primal Tide against more controlling matchups. Mm-hmm. And then outside of control matchups, you know, the payoffs don't necessarily win on the spot and they can be, you know, pretty hard to kill. But this game can also go long enough if you're playing this deck that you can just hard cast some of these creatures because oh of my your gosh, control yes. strategy. And then Sarah's Emissary is just, you know, what you play on turn seven. Yeah, that happened to me more than I was expecting, because unless you can get the clock down against them, then it's really hard to race them at times. And for me, playing against this deck, and I played against this deck a lot already, uh, even like in bronze and silver, because I'm, I'm, I've been out of the game since Modern Horizons 2, right? Like I've been playing modern. So my rank has tanked the last two months. I'm down in in bronze, I'm almost to gold again, which is where the game actually starts, kind of really. And uh, yeah, this it's it base it feels like playing Splinter Twin, like against Splinter Twin, because you have to hold up interaction, because they can at any time play a Dwarven Mine. It's Dwarven Mine, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, they just play a Dwarven Mine. They already have three mountains. It brings in the one one token. They have four mana up. They creativity it, and you're in a really tough spot. So like it gets that false tempo that yeah. Splinter Twin always had. Is that an effective access to try to like fight this? Deck? I mean, I know that you were playing a red deck, and I was playing a red deck, and so it felt like that was what I was supposed to do. But on the other hand, it also was kind of like then you lose. I mean, <laughs> and then you just lose. Yeah, because you can't. You, you're not putting any clock down. Yeah, and the other thing is also it's not effective to hold up removal against hard evidence because then they just sacrifice the token. And yeah, so when rough. I, when I was playing or not the token, then they fact sacrifice the clue token is what I meant to say. Okay. The, the yeah. artifact that they have. And so because creativity has, so when I f- first played, played this a few times, I was like, I'm going to hold up my shocks and try to kill a dwarven, the dwarf that comes from dwarven mine. But eventually I actually sided out of that strategy in, in some ways, or just didn't even try to do that and just tried to hold up enough, enough firepower to kill the emissary once it hit the board if they named creature so it was like i would put down a bunch of pressure and then make them play emissary naming creature and then try to have enough firepower to get rid of the emissary and finish the game out which was also not particularly successful successful but seemed like the right way to go yeah i think that there there was a game that i specifically remember like uh, out of a match and and i think that would have been a winning line when I was too busy kind of like picking off little things and, and trying to just keep getting chip shots in. But if I had just sandbagged like three burn spells, like, you know, a couple fiery tempers and an unholy heat and something like that, then, then that could have gotten the job done. And I think it probably would be the only way I could win that. I'll tell you another card that was surprisingly effective against this deck in a way, or just handy is uh, Soul Scar Mage was actually mm-hmm. sort of handy mm-hmm. because it, then it lets you, 
make their clock smaller at the same time that you try to draw into extra burn as well. If again, if they name creatures instead of instants, but that was just something that came up one time where I managed to squeak by because I turned their emissary into a three, three, and then just kind of out, outrace them after that. Yeah. It's, it's a good deck for sure. Stan, how, how much have you been playing against this deck and oh, yeah. how, how has it been with the decks that you tend to play? Because this is kind of like the top of the top of the top of the meta right now, so I think it's worth talking a little bit more. And we were playing aggro decks. I know you've been playing different types of things. Yeah. So what's interesting about this deck is, you know, I want to say that it was pioneered by Zan Syed, to my knowledge. He identified it and introduced the power of hard evidence as this really excellent enabler for the strategy that was more or less dormant since the banning of Time Warp. And since then, it is really shut up, and it feels like at least 25% of your games, you're going to be running up against it. I have piloted a bit, and I think there probably has been some user error on my part, because I find it hard to figure out when and where you know you want to play a control deck, or when and where you want to like cash in your clue tokens to actually look for you know creativities while sandbagging a Dwarven mine. So there is a little bit of finesse to playing this. And knowing exactly which lines you want to take against specific matchups. That said, the popularity of this deck, I think, is also what cleared the way for the next deck we're going to talk about in a minute, which is a control strategy. Because while this does play control, you know, and it can memory lapse people's interaction when they try to combo off, when the creativity player tries to combo off, I think that's really challenging and it forces you to kind of understand all the lines and all the scenarios and, and, and like play like Aspiring Spike does, where you're imagining every single situation on every single turn. So I think for people who play a lot of Arena and have had a lot of experience with the Velomachus deck, this is a really seamless transition that can actually be pretty rewarding if you also know how to navigate um, more controlling play patterns. All right, so let's talk about that next deck that you're talking about, the 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 Jeskai control deck that has also emerged. Although this deck feels like a control deck, it's kind of a kind of a combo deck, and so this one, this control deck has risen at the same time to kind Correct. of fight it, right? Right, and it's exactly what it sounds like, and it's essentially the same deck that it's been since Strixhaven, though it's less of a Magma Opus deck, and rather it's now running things like Unholy Heat, Archmage's Charm, which are two of the additions from Jumpstart along with um, Portable Hole, is much uh, appears much more frequently in the deck from the D&D set. Yeah, Portable Hole against me feels as good as I expected it to feel. Like It, it seems like a very efficient piece of interaction that almost no one main decks artifactate against, at least in best of three. Yeah, Portable Hole's fantastic. And also, even if it ends up in the graveyard for some reason, either because you know people find a way to remove it, or maybe you dump it with your own Prismari command, it then helps turn on your unholy heats later. This deck is resilient. It's very redundant, and it's great at generating card advantage. It kind of just hits all the checks that you would want a powerful control deck to hit. Are we seeing between these two decks? Uh, so there's a couple of different things that we're seeing as far as like common cards that are that are good in both of these strategies. But the big one that again has been a surprise to me in this context, as much as it was in modern, honestly, is Prismari Command. Prismari Command is just way, way, way better than I gave it credit for. And it's present in both of these decks. Being able to, is it charm slash faithless looting or do damage or kill an artifact is, has all, I think, turned out to be just so much better than uh, than I thought. 
Yeah, the the existence of Prismari command in these Jesk, all these Jeskai decks makes it just feel like my deck, the the Hollow One discard deck, could just cannot be tier one because the main deck ability to remove a smaller creature and remove a Hollow One is just so brutal mm-hmm. with a kill an artifact clause. It well, it stinks. It's good. The fact that it's also just two mana a lot of the times because it makes that treasure token just is so funny. It's almost like the shock on it is one of the worst modes of the card. Still comes in handy. I think part of the reason why Jeskai has also remained powerful is that cards like Memory Lapse and Expressive Iteration just have not been outclassed by anything. You know, Memory Lapse is basically the best counterspell in the format still. Good early game, good late game. And then Expressive Iteration is just always like a two mana, two for one. Yeah. As long as you play it right, as long as you think it through, you always get the two mana draw spell, which is really, really, really good. I mean, we had when we had Everett on last week. You know, Everett said that uh, expressive iteration is the best draw card in modern too, and I think that you know almost by proxy, it has to be the best in historic as well, especially with brainstorm gone now. Sweet, love, love to hear that. I think the addition of unholy heat to the suite of lightning helix plus portable hold now gives the Jeskai deck a lot of variety among its removal package to deal with would-be aggro decks so you know in the past gruel aggro used to be and and, and phoenix for that matter used to be okay strategies against control because they could sometimes outrace the control deck and i think it's harder than ever to outrace this control deck just because it has so much cheap efficient removal that can deal with so much uh, of the creatures in the format yeah, they feel like they always have two lightning helixes. Oh like my god! Every time I, I mean, play them, it feels like they have two. On turn two, like they always have the helix on turn two. Yeah. the The only way that one of the, the the few times I've beaten this deck with mine is like I am killing my own stuff with my removal spells so that they cannot gain life. Like I did that more than once wow. to win a match. That's a big like, blame, big brain play. I mean, it's partially getting you know, partially lucky, partially just like yeah, I got to stop you from gaining life. Of course, there's plenty of room for flex spots, too, in these control decks. Like, you know, you're running some kind of Wraths. Usually it's Wrath of God, but I'm seeing more of them main deck Anger of the Gods instead. Um, We mentioned the Prismari commands to help either filter your hand or deal with some other problematic permanence. Search for Ascanta is a really great turn two play that then, once the game inevitably goes long, is helping you draw extra cards every turn. That plus Teferi will sometimes let you draw like three cards a turn. Um, and then Narset too, you know, Narset plus commit to memory, right? Is that what it's called? Commit. Yeah. Commit to memory. Wow. What a card. Those that's two card combo basically is just kind of backbreaking in and of itself. Oh yeah. I, I played that. I totally forgot about what happened with Narset on the board and they were about <laughs> to play that. We both had, were hell bent and I was like, okay, I guess we're going to redraw. Oh, <laughs> not me. I got one card. They got seven, seven. cards. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we've, we've been focusing on these these two decks and we could for a long time, I think, but what do you, th- how are people trying to, f- to fight this? How are you thinking people are trying to fight this stand right yeah. now in the format? So I think part of the unfortunate issue with the texture of the, f- the top of the format right now is that the best counterplay against them is other blue cards like test of talent and mystical dispute together, I think have proven themselves to be really strong counterplays against these control decks. Of course, many of these control decks are playing them too, but if you're in a deck that can play blue, um, you need to run probably main deck mystical disputes and then some number of sideboard test of talent. Test of talent is a card that really has kind of impressed me of late. And it made me realize that we don't have any other cards like that in magic, which is just one in a blue instant counter target instant or sorcery spell. 
just that line of text does not really exist. There's like miscast, there's flusterstorm, and they all have like, you know, counter one of these spells unless you pay X. Tessa Talent is just like the best version of this effect we've ever had. And then it offers a surgical line on top of that. So it counters an instant or sorcery, and then you search opponent's graveyard, hand and library, and exile all copies of that. I mean, this is just negate, but functionally better, right? Like it, or I guess negate is non, non-creature, non-creature spell. spell, and this is target instant or sorcery spell. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's like the best spell pierce we've ever gotten, I guess. <laughs> Which is also non-creature and not instant or sorcery, so it has some wider wider applications. Right. Gets, gets your, Notably, it costs one. Right, as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I I've, I was surprised to have this card cast against me the other day, I'll tell you that. I was like, you cited Tested Talents in against my mono red deck so you could take my shocks? Like, mm-hmm. what, what? what's going on there? But The other card I'll say I really like against these control decks, and it's part of the reason why Jess guys can still play main deck portable hole in a control heavy field is just shark typhoon mm-hmm. because you can make shark tokens that are bigger than a lightning helix and they can't counter it. So you're basically guaranteed to get a body on the board or um, at least two for one of them if they're going to spend a removal spell on your token. Mm-hmm. And then the last one I'll point out is all these creature lands we got from the D&D set. So Shane had mentioned Den of the Bugbear. That's my favorite as well. Oh yeah, it's it's so good, so so good, because it makes multiple creatures as you know as a rebel master effect has always been good against control often. Right, um, that too is pretty hard to interact with in some cases, but if they keep up a lightning helix, that stinks. But even like the white one that makes the flying dragon, the black one that makes the a beholder eyeball. <laughs> yeah, it makes a beholder. <laughs> makes an eyeball. Um, the green one that makes a hydra like they they all see some number of play and i think pretty much every deck should run the one that they can uh, e- even uh crawling barons like i think every deck needs to run creature lands right now in historic just because of how much control is out there and if you can make a creature land that can dodge removal you're going to be in a pretty good position and the fact that they come in untapped at the in the early game is huge huge right just the first two turns, but you can maybe construct your deck in a way that having an ETB tap land later isn't that big. Of a deal. Yeah. Okay. So so that's kind of like the A A plus decks, right? But what what else is going on that's been new and interesting that you've been playing with or that you've seen? Uh, you know, Shane and I have talked about these red decks a little bit. We could talk about them a little bit more in a minute, but I think you have some more kind of off the map stuff. Yeah. Um. I want to jump over really quick to best of one. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to talk about this deck for too long because I hate it and I think it's bad for magic, but it's it's worth noting. And that is the new Cascade combo deck. Yeah. They figured it out. They took it from <laughs> modern. They put it in historic. <laughs> Finally. Um, it's hyperlinear. It's unbelievably redundant. And it's just a miserable reason not to play best of one right now, in, in my wow. humble opinion. And the only new card... Um, or like the most important new card that it got is Throws of Chaos, which is from the original Modern Horizons. It's a card that we all went, what, when it came out? Because it has no text on it. Yeah. <laughs> Three in a red, Sorcery, Cascade, and Retrace. That's the card. That's the card. And the deck is designed to cast Throws of Chaos as early as turn three if you can make a treasure token off a of Magma Opus, but at the very least, very frequently on turn four. And then all you cascade into is to Tybalt's Trickery, our old friend, that old chestnut, which of course then sets up something just supremely broken and degenerate, lets you cheat in a ton of big mana payoffs, 
Most frequently, it's Ulamog, but it can be an Ugin. It can be an emergent ultimatum. It could be omniscience. Pick your poison. God, I hate Tibble's trickery. <laughs> I know. I don't, sense. I don't think it's long for this world. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we even see it banned in best of one, but maybe just likely banned slash suspended in, in the entire historic format. So brutal. I mean, we don't have the numbers. Like They're pretty opaque with historic, but I think the data would, would bear out that this is just the most played deck in best of one. If you jump into the best of one queues, you're going to run into it at least 50% of the time. And unless you yourself are packing a million counter spells and like main deck uh, test of talents, it's just supremely hard to interact with it because of the retrace clause on Throws yeah. of Chaos. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just mind numbing how they just printed this into the format. <laughs> First time you chaos into trickery, you're probably going to win on the spot. But sometimes trickery can whiff. And then the next turn, you just discard a land. Cast throws again, tr- spin your wheels with trickery again, and then by then you probably found a decent payoff. And even if you found that decent payoff the first time, you can just keep doing it. Don't settle on just a single Ulamog. Get a Sarah's Emissary as well. Yeah. Take a get shot two on Ulamogs. two Ulamogs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why not? Nobody's going to stop you once you get that. All right. So we're protesting best of one because of Tybalt's trickery. Thanks, yeah. Tybalt. You know, I got I got Tybalt alted the other day. Speaking of the planes, speaking of Tybalt and the planeswalker. Tybalt, that was an eye-opening experience. I didn't realize that they got to cast all of the cards that Tybalt exiles from everybody's graveyard. That was fun. They suddenly had like a 30-card hand. Anyway. Magic. What a, Magic. What a sport. What an eSport. Yeah. What a game. All right, I want to talk about a couple of decks that I think are really fun and cool that the format has added, and I, I want to keep an eye on them moving forward, especially if we see some corrections in the weeks or months ahead. And the first one is a deck I've, I've put a fair amount of time in and I actually was able to, to climb a couple of ranks with, and it's Gruel shamans mm. this is this is just secretly gruel aggro isn't it but more of a combo deck than ever before <sighs> it's very snowbally it is aggressive um and it's made possible entirely from new additions from jumpstart horizons it's pretty vulnerable con- to control but um like any good combo aggro deck it can generate these super explosive and very unexpected finishing lines that just win on the spot when you least expect it mm-hmm so the new cards I got is, uh, the big one is Harmonic Prodigy. Wow, a card that I was like, this card will never see play. Guess Maybe. what? If you print it in a different format, then... Maybe it, it will. Yeah. So this is a two-mana 1-3 with prowess that reads an ability of a shaman or another wizard triggers an additional time anytime it triggers. So this notably is a wizard. The other really important card we got is Rage Forger. Mm. So this is a three-mana elemental shaman when it comes into play, put a 1-1 counter on each other Shaman you control. And then whenever a creature you control with a 1-1 counter on it attacks, you may have that creature deal 1 damage to target player. Stan, this just sounds like a very expensive Scorch Spitter. <laughs> it sort of is, except imagine if all of your creatures were Scorch Spitters that also kept getting bigger and bigger and just oh, man. didn't lose to a chump block. Stan, don't make me daydream. That's during the episode. That sounds like exactly what you want, Shane. This deck rules. I'm, I'm serious. Um, the other additions this, that made this deck emerge is Goblin Anacromancer, which is the two-mana card that makes your red and green spells cost a colorless cheaper. Mm-hmm. And then I've also been running Faceless Agent, which is one of these new digital-only cards. It's a three-generic mana shapeshifter, um, and when it enters the battlefield, you... What is it? Search a, another card that has the... Creature type you have most. It's Seek. 
that's the keyword. Yeah, you, so you it basically seek. it just finds whatever creature type you have most of. In this case, you have a ton of shamans. You play a faceless agent. You get another shaman into your hand. That's uh, that's a rough one. So what? Why this deck is good is that it can go super wide very very quickly. And like I said, it just wins kind of out of nowhere sometimes when you have a prodigy and a rage forger and a board full of bodies around. So what's happening here is Prodigy, it doubles all of your Shaman triggers, which pairs nicely with all the things you put into your deck to actually give yourself a plan. So outside of the cards I mentioned, you're also running things like Elvish Visionary, which is a Shaman. So Visionary two plus, cards. Yeah, Visionary plus Prodigy is two cards. Faceless Agent draws you two cards. Burning Tree Emissary, that's a Shaman. Those two cards produce four mana. And then with Rage Forger, you get extra tokens, extra 1-1 counters, and you get extra like damage triggers every time your board swings. Jeez, I kind of just want to play this card in Modern. This deck in Modern and see what happens. You probably power it up a little bit more. I know. With like, but that's funny. Bolt. Yeah. So yeah, it's really sweet. It, it, the deck runs Collective Company, of course, and what'll sometimes happen is if you get multiple Rage Forgers out or multiple Prodigies out, your multiplier just wins you the game on the spot because I've had turns where I suited up an entire board with a couple of Rage Forgers out and, and one or two Shaman out or Prodigies out, and then I'll just swing and deal 10 damage to the face before my creatures even connect. Wow. One of the other new additions I actually forgot to mention is Seasoned Pyromancer, which is a Shaman, that I've been on and off with this card, and I, I want to run it by you because I, I want to see if I'm thinking about something incorrectly because i feel like there's a little bit of a non-bow between harmonic prodigy and and seasoned pyromancer and here's why okay if you have no cards in hand prodigy on the board and you cast the pyromancer what happens is you draw two immediately discard two draw two again right so those first two you draw they just go to the bin you don't have have an opportunity to do anything with them Mm. that's great it's it's, it's fine it's feels versus reels right yeah and actually you you luck into getting tokens yeah tokens off of that so you can potentially get in a spot where you exactly where you end up with tokens when you were going to or if you have cards in hand already you discard two, make two tokens draw two, discard two again make two tokens draw two. like that's definitely not a nonbo i would say that is combo for sure <laughs> it's not a combo breaker but yeah I've, I've been playing rum walker instead in this in this spot but maybe i should reconsider that I mean, it could be good, but Season Pyromancer just for that mid-game gas is always going to be really good, you know? Yeah. It's such a stupid good card. I'm so impressed with it. Last thing I'll just say about this deck, my parting thoughts, is I honestly love it. It's it's really fun. I think it's a really unique strategy. And in my mind, it's just so unfortunate that Jeskai Control is the top deck in the field right now because this is just a dog against Control. Mm-hmm. Can you just not race it? It's not only that. Just removing the... Harmonic Prodigy is usually lights out, uh, um, but it, in my opinion, it has a really hard time recovering from rats, um, especially a sure. deck that's full of rats and spot removal. So, like, yeah. if they remove your first creature, you know, you can try to claw your way back, but then they have like twelve removal spells plus a couple rats, and it's just like you're never going to get past that wall. So, unlike the kind of the the classic rule aggro, where all the individual pieces have a lot of inherent strength and there's a lot of haste in the deck and kind of every creature can be a bolt or something like that. This is m- far more synergistic. Exactly. It seems. Yes. Where it's like goblins where like each individual piece needs to do its thing. Mm-hmm. True. Got it. Yeah. But the, the synergy has such a high ceiling is, is kind of the, the reason you go for it. Sure. All right. I have one more combo deck. I want to mention another creature based combo deck. 
And it's Scurry Oak combo, which is a new take on Heliod in Historic. Mm. Now we oh, have no. big creatures, or big board, and infinite life in our Eternal Arena format. Come on. I'm serious. I'm serious. So the new cards we have here are Scurry Oak, which is a three mana, one, two, tree folk with Evolve. But the real important line of text is when one or more plus one plus one counters are put onto Scurry Oak, you may create a one, one green squirrel creature token. Okay. Um, new additions as well that made this deck possible are Esper Sentinel and Ranger Captain of Eos. But the way the combo works is if you have a Heliod, a Scurry Oak, and a Soul Warden on the board, or, you know, a functional replacement for Soul Warden, which we have several of, um, you start with Heliod and Soul Warden on the board, you cast your Scurry Oak, you gain a life, triggers Heliod, you put a counter on your Scurry Oak, you make a, another Squirrel, mm-hmm. rinse and repeat, you end up making a ton of tokens, a really big tree folk, gain infinite life. ba da That's it. You can do yeah. this as quickly as turn four. That's amazing. The combo even works without Heliod because there's this new card from the D&D set called Trelasara Moon Dancer, which just reads, whenever you gain life, put a 1-1 counter on Trelasara and scry one. So you still need your Scurry Oak and your Soul Warden. You just don't need Heliod. Mm-hmm. Another example. Don't need them. You don't need them. Another example of cool decks that are just too creature heavy to be successful in a control heavy metagame, I think. The difference here, though, is that you can sometimes execute this combo all in the same turn. If your control opponent taps out, and you can play creature lands. So in theory, what you can do is save up for a really big turn, wait for control to tap out, make infinite life, um, and then just like stall out until you can play like the cave of the frost dragon or you know the hydra land and try to win that way. Control does have an out to infinite life with Teferi, but this this is I think a plan that you can try to execute too. It takes them a while, though, yeah, with yeah. the fairies. So, Stan, I feel like we've, I've also seen and heard about some other new aggressive decks, like Merfolk, is a thing people are liking. What we got, like we got three, four, three cards. Like we got Master of the Pearl Trident. We got that Savellan of Sea and Sky from MH two. We got Shoreline Scout, which I that's that a completely digital only card, right? Like that's not yeah. anywhere else. That's the one that draw that gives you a tropical island if you if yeah. you want as seen on magic arena uh <laughs> yeah people seem to like it i think you know when you're low to the ground and this is one of the decks i bet can get under uh the can more controlling decks where they need to get into that wrath or else they're probably going to lose uh and what that also has collected company which is also helpful for refilling after some removal or something like that so and Svelin, what that does a really good job of protecting creatures as well correct not against rats as much, but it's good against the point removal because it gives all of your creatures ward. Oh, yeah. right. That's what it does. Good. Yeah. And, and she's indestructible. And then she generates cards, too. Every time she attacks, she draws a card. Yeah, I mean, that's a great way to stabilize and sort of refill and things like that. So why not? And I know uh, I've also seen humans. It's typically mono white, but I know that there's also variants that I've seen Coco humans. I've seen uh, Azorius humans. I think these decks are really good. Like they're really good. They're, they're super low to the ground. They refill their hand really quickly. They grow really quickly. Like Thalia's Lieutenant 
is about as good as I think we thought it was. And I've only seen it a few times in action and it's doing good work. Thalia Guardian of Thraben, uh, one, two combo. It's you taxing the opponent. Then you just quickly can curve into like elite spellbinder that takes the important spell, gets rid of that wrath or something like that. Ranger captain is getting important spells. Like it, it can get a giant killer to do some removal from the chop down part of it. Uh, just having redundant Esper Sentinels is always great. Esper Sentinel grows really quickly in this deck mm-hmm. because of Luminarch Aspirant, because of Thalia's Lieutenant. And that is, you know, you have to remember how that works. Like, it's not just a single X. Like, it, like I, I played against it and I was like, why didn't I have a chance to pay for the tax? Oh, because it's already two power and I don't have two mana. I, I think these decks are quite good. Statistically, they are good on untapped. Like, I mean, every deck is good on untapped right now. Just like, I think because untapped players are likely more spikes and they're doing really well. But right now, Mono White is the most winningest deck on untapped in best of three. In Mono so, White Humans, you mean? Yeah, Mono White Humans, yes. Wow. For what range? This is this is like the whole range between Bronze and Mythic. If, okay. I, if, I, if I apply a filter, Gold to Mythic, oh, it's still there. Let's go, let's go Platinum to Mythic. It's still there. And and what's the date range? Uh, this is the just, just the most recent stuff, like August 26th till now or something like that. So it's not a huge sample size, but it's uh, definitely winning. And I think it's a good day. I think it's a good platform to work from. If I had a, enough rares, I would I would be working with it. But, you know, I'm always doing mono red. You know, that's what I've been doing too. And like we said, it seems okay, mono red. It has some problems. I, I like mine. I yeah. like my build a lot. I mean, Do I like playing like... Dragon's Rage Channeler. That's cool. Yeah. I like having That's access. That's my question. To, right. Like, so how effective have you found Channeler in Historic? Because I don't know that it's fine. I don't think it's as good as it is in Modern. Definitely not as good, but it's still really good to be able to just peel through your deck if you want to. I mean, you know what's good is Faithless Looting, mm-hmm. surprisingly. Uh, Faithless Looting feels like still as insanely busted as it always has been. It is a broken card. It is incredible. It is incredible, the stuff you can do with Faithless, Lo- Faithless Looting in this deck. Is this sort of your first go through with Faith? No, you played Dredge. No, I've play, so I played Dredge. Yeah. I mean, I've even messed with Phoenix and testing and stuff like that. Like, right. I mean, I I forgot how good it was. It's good. Well, yeah, it's it's incredible. Like, I mean, just the, you're digging through. Also, the synergies in this deck are quite good because you want to enable Delirium, so you can get rid of extra lands. You're drawing. You know, you have four Den of the Bugbear, and after a while, you might not want those to come into play tapped, or you might want a backup. So in case they do lightning helix it and you can, you know, and, or you can pitch your artifact creature. If you don't think you're going to be able to get that a uh, hollow one down in time, or if you want to pitch like a Bomat courier or something that's no longer useful, it's just such a good filtering and uh, engine card because I think unlike in modern where fiery temper never felt very good, fiery temper is pretty good on rate. I think for picking off opposing creatures, for just going to the dome, for that madness uh, one mana spell. Uh, Season Pyromancer is excellent in this deck. Uh, I've been playing Hazaret mm-hmm. in my deck, and she's killing it. Um, I just I think that in still getting like a turn two Hollow One or like two Hollow Ones on turn three still feels pretty darn good. It dodges Anger of the Gods, which is a pretty popular sweeper right now because it has the four toughness. Uh, I think it's a really good deck. Like I'm doing quite well with it. I'm also playing not amazing competition where I am right now, but I'm like 65% win rate across like 15 matches. So why not? Yeah, The version I'm playing is Obosh Red for what it's worth too. And so I don't have access to all the same cards you're talking about, but 
you know, I'm playing Bone Crusher Giant. That's a good card. And I'm playing most of the other things that you were talking about. So there's, I, I think it's an interesting deck. I wasn't blown away by it in the last four or five days, but it definitely was a felt viable. And it only cost me from the collection that I had uh, without playing in the last like two months or two and a half months on arena, basically at all. It only cost me eight, eight wild, eight rare wild cards and six or eight mythic ones to make the deck and then some uncommon. So it wasn't that expensive for me to move over into it. So I think in that sense, it's like, that's another reason to try the deck out. And a lot of the cards are going to be, are going to turn up in other decks too, like season pyromancer and den of the Bugbear, And those are all legit cards. I didn't feel like I was burning anything. I wasn't going to use later. Yeah. But to, to, I guess to answer the question more concretely, or at least with my level of experience is that I think DRC is, is perfectly good. She's a lightning rod for sure. She gets removed a lot. Uh, but if you do untap with her, like, I mean, a, a very common play pattern is just like, Dragon's Rage Channeler into turn two Faithless Looting into Surveilling and pitching some stuff. I've had turn two DRCs coming in as three threes, not every game, but a good portion of games. And then slapping down a turn two hollow one after that is a, is a great follow-up and you, you're applying pressure and you're cycling through your deck. And I, I think that the, the, the peaks are pretty good there but I, I also it's really what i like about this deck is that it is a grindy deck mm-hmm. it it grinds really well like you do get some really good aggressive starts where you stick a few early ba- uh, blazing root wallas and then you can start using your mana to pump them up when the op- opponent is a control deck and you get a couple you know early three damage hits in there and then you're able to transition into a long game deck where you're using your flashback lootings. You are getting some tokens back out of your season pyromancer. You're drawing two off a of season pyromancer. There's just a lot of ways to keep getting damage in and keep getting stuff back on the board that the opponent has to deal with. Yeah. All right. I think the only deck that we didn't talk about that has been on people's radars is the Vesper Lark combo deck that we spoke about briefly when we were doing some spoilers for Jumpstart a few weeks back. Um, Stan, have you seen this deck? I've heard people talk about it, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, so I've I've seen it a little bit at first. You know, after GH2 hit Arena, there was a lot of experimentation. And I I really liked playing just Jumpstart Horizon 2 as a little Mm -hmm. limited format. I know people think it's pretty bad, but it was a fun way to spend 20,000 gold in a matter of days. Sure. Um, But in any case, Vesper Lark combo... This is also a creature-based combo deck, but this can win on the spot, unlike the Heliod deck or some of those other combo decks I mentioned. Um, and the additions, the big additions here are Vesper Lark and Davriel's Withering. Withering being another one of those uh, new arena-exclusive digital cards. Um, the deck also runs Yogmoth as just a value engine more than a combo piece. Um, and sometimes we see Blade Splicer, which is one of the, the new additions as well. And the way the combo works is Davriel's Withering gives a creature minus one, minus two perpetually, which mm-hmm. means that it's shrunk in every single zone of the, the game. It doesn't get its original printed stats back when it goes in the graveyard. It's always going to be minus one, minus two. So what you do is you cast Davriel's Withering on your own Vesper Lark, making your Vesper Lark a one zero, dies on the spot and it triggers. And now because it has power one, you can target itself. Right. So it can go from the graveyard to the battlefield infinite times. And if you have, um, you know, something like a Blood Artist or a Bastion of Remembrance on the on the board, you just combo out your player right there, or your opponent right there with infinite 
death triggers. Infinite death. God. For them. I can't wait. Um, but Sounds yeah, that, relaxing. That's that's the Vesper Lark combo. Does it Frequently seem good? When you played it, does it seem like it works enough, or does it seem like it's sort of like uh, spotty? I don't think it's disruptive enough mm-hmm. uh, yet, and I don't feel like there's just enough reason to innovate on it. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the problem is that it kind of forces you to win on the spot or expose your uh, payoff to removal. Like you, you have to play the Blood Hours first. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it can be very vulnerable to instant speed removal, including things like Unholy Heat and other really cheap interactive spells that are already in the format, that um, I think it's just pretty vulnerable right now. I don't know. I, I feel like if we got rid of Rogrin Triome, that would be pretty good <laughs> for the format, like, alone. <laughs> Seriously, I think, like, that would really cripple control decks without actually killing them. And if you really wanted to cut them off at the knee, like, get rid of something like Memory Lapse or maybe Expressive Iteration... And I think that can clear the way for some of these creature-based decks to be good again. Wow. When we were first getting into Historic, like this was a very board-based, creature-heavy format. Yeah. And it just doesn't really feel like that anymore. No, it feels way more powerful than that. Every time I play now, I'm like, wait. I played against Gruel Aggro, like a real Gruel Aggro the other yeah, day. Same. And I, w- I was like, uh, I don't think this deck does anything against Jeskai creativity or... I don't know. So there's a lot of decks that are missing, right? But there's a lot of new interesting stuff. Um, Stan, what are you going to keep playing from here? I'm going to keep playing my Is It deck. Um, A, because I think I've successfully metagamed it against the field, right? The reason I really like... No bad matchup, Stan, we call them. That, I mean, that's that's not true at all. Like, I, I lose to a lot of creature decks, but I hardly ever see them. Like, I keep losing to Jun Sack still. Right. Um, but no one wants to play that. But if you're going to run 12 main deck counterspells, including four mystical disputes, like you can actually outgrind some of these control decks. And, you know, I'm kind of just trying to learn, take a lesson out of the book of M. Hayashi and uh, Jacob Kumiski, where it's just like, let's play whatever it takes to beat the perceived metagame. And I've been trying to do that with Izzet in part because I think Izzet and any deck that has the fast lands from Kaladesh just has perfect mana. Like without having to go three colors, you can play four fast lands, shock lands, flip lands, and like you're kind of set. Um, and this being like one of the ways that you can run main deck mystical disputes um, without having to lose any real equity or, or slow down your plan. Um, I've, I've been fairly successful with that and grinding with. It. No, Shane, are you going to keep coming back? I really, I mean, I have been liking this deck a lot, which. It's a little bit surprising to me because it's not as aggressive as I usually lean, but I do like the the aggro slash mid-range slash grindy elements to it quite a bit. Uh, I, I, I think that the death of creature decks that Stan is potentially sort of... I think Stan's indicating that there's not that many creature decks out there. I think statistically there still are. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely not as popular as the Jeskai decks. Like there's create there's a lot of creativity, there's a lot of control just in terms of match count on untapped. But I still do feel like the metagame is pretty wide open in terms of the amount of decks that are out there. Like it sort of feels like Horizons 2 in for modern, which is not surprising perhaps, because it's tons of modern Horizons 2 cards. Right. And it's just like, hey, there's there's more decks for you to play. And because of the fact that we don't have tons of tournaments, that the metagame is pretty new, that it's 
you know, Magic Arena and the latter, it's a different competitive environment than like a tournament environment. I think there's a lot of people playing a lot of different stuff, right? There's people still playing like Silesia Angels. There's people still doing like Jun Sack. There's still people, like you said, Dave, just playing straight up Gruel Aggro and like Rakdos uh, Delirium, you know, I mean, not Rakdos Delirium, like the uh, Rakdos Arcanist right. type stuff. They're, they're still out there. And so I think that it's a it's a good time to be playing it, especially if, like Stan said, you can you try to figure out a way to how am I going to beat Jeskai, or uh, I'm just going to scoop to it every time because it doesn't really matter because it's a ladder. You know what I mean? Like yeah, sure you might lose a few pips, but you can get those back. It's not like you're losing uh, five bucks. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Stan, thanks for coming back and taking us through your most recent tour of historic yeah your, your son staying your son son staying quiet over there he's not yelling yet you're gonna be with us in the dive down yeah it seems that way i'm gonna go check on him during our break but i think i think i can stick around for some spoilers great and yeah. that's what we're gonna do let's spoil some wolves yeah wolves becoming spoilers spoilers becoming cards <laughs> Spooky. something scary Spooky. scary yeah all right we'll see you back stay with us So we're back to Innistrad, Shane. We're, ba- we're back? We're back, and we're back to Innisp- Innistrad. Backstreet's back. Innistrad's back all right. Yeah. And yeah, it's, the, the, it's the midnight hunt. Yeah. I mean, but I, I like what they're doing here. I mean, like, we we went from, what, like, gothic horror of Innistrad. Mm-hmm. We went to, the like, the eldritch body horror of shadows over Innistrad, and now we're, like, in this folk horror type mode. Sure. And you know me, I'm, I'm a huge, I'm a huge folk horror guy, Dave. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm moderately. It's 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 all that contemporary, like Midsommar, the 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 witch, Children of the Corn, which is not contemporary. Is that what this is? Yeah, it's all like folk horror inspired. Interesting. Okay, um, which is cool. Like, but even if you don't care about the thematic elements, I think Innistrad Midnight Hunt it, it opened the doors on that preview stream, like what a few weeks ago already, with some pretty cool cards. I think for historic, pioneer, and modern. Uh, and what's weird about this one is that this this comes out September 17th, which is uh, the actual name of the set is Innistrad Midnight Hunt. I think, the, Dave, you mentioned that. That's mm-hmm. September 17th. We're getting the follow-up set, also set in Innistrad, Crimson Vow, just two months later in November. This is the new release schedule. This is the new normal. The winter set used to be early January, but it's moved up six weeks ish i don't know maybe they just want to get out ahead of like the holiday spending whoa i I didn't realize this at all so there's no longer a january set now they're gonna do they're gonna do september november and april and september november is so close together like what are they are they gonna push up they might push up april like i don't really know what they're trying to do with that well personally this bums me out because there are a set used to come out on my birthday weekend every year dave hmm Maybe something still will, but it'll be like a supplemental set. Yeah, you know Maybe. that's what they're doing. They're clear. They're clearing the decks for supplemental product for sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if you if you bring stuff closer together, then there's more opportunities for people to save money and say, "Oh, well, that was two months ago. Mm-hmm. I've got cash." All right. So what we're gonna do is we usually do on the new set spoiler apps. We have some new mechanics. The mechanics of Innistrad Midnight Hunt are are pretty complicated and I don't want to take too much time because we had a pretty good long breakdown. So I'll try to get through these quickly. The most, and and I think typically these are more standard and limited oriented 
then we'll have a big impact on modern, which is another good reason to not dwell on them too long. Right. But Daybound and Nightbound is the the, the newest and I think most, in, well, the newest. It's the most interesting concept, perhaps, out of the set because it brings like this new edge to transforming cards, which are a staple of Innistrad. And it is day and night is now a designation of the game itself. It can be daytime where things are pretty normal. It could be nighttime where things get get buck. Uh, the game does not begin at either state. It's just, I don't know, like brunch or yeah. something like that, yeah, right? Yeah, the in-between so, times. <laughs> um, and the most common way a game is going to shift states from uh, into day or night is when a permanent ETBs that has the daybound keyword, which is there's a lot more of those than nightbound. Um, but once daybound or nightbound happens, the game state is day or night until something changes it. Uh, if it's night, then a card enters on its nightbound side. If it's day, it enters on the daybound side. The game can shift from day to night in a couple ways. One is like the classic Innistrad way is like if you cast no spells, it becomes night next turn. If a player casts at least two spells, it becomes day next turn. And on their own turn, that's kind of important, I suppose. Other cards may have effects that make it become day or make it become night. That can happen kind of at any point during a turn. Right. And so you know, you know, after all that happens, it, when it becomes day, those nightbound cards transform back to the daybound face and vice versa. What's interesting here is there are no other ways these cards can be flipped. So like this bound concept is pretty serious. Mm-hmm. And also, importantly, it's sort of like they're trying to avoid issues with like the MDFCs, uh, where they sort of can be cast and brought into the battlefield on their night on the flip side. But these don't have casting costs, right? So they just basically can't be brought in on the transform side unless like it's night and they're night bound, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, so a, an example of a card that features both day and night, uh, day bound and night bound. I think this would be challenging to be in any of our formats, but it's going to be popular with Werewolf EDH people, and that's Arlen's Arlen the Pax Hope. Two red and a green. She's a planeswalker. She has Daybound on the first side. Uh, her plus one lets you cast creatures as though they had flash, and each creature you control ETBs with an additional 1-1 counter on it. The minus three makes two green, two, two, two green wolf tokens. She has four starting loyalty. However, her nightbound side, she flips, Flipwalker, Arlen, the moon, Moon's Fury, she has four loyalty as well. Her plus two adds red and a green, and her zero, until end of turn, she becomes a 5-5 five, five werewolf creature with trample, indestructible, and haste. Yeah. So so pretty cool. <laughs> She's got uh, that real Gideon kind of vibe going on. Gideon, yeah. You know, this is cool. I mean, like you said, this is probably going to be something that, that werewolf EDH people are much more excited about than I think any of our formats, but you never know. I mean, it's interesting. And I think the main thing that's really interesting about this whole mechanic is the fact that you know, one of the things that was strange about Innistrad is that you would kind of get your your uh, transforming creatures out of sync with each other, where they would kind of like flip back and forth and like you'd have some werewolves and some not werewolves and some other things. And so one thing that this does is that it kind of consolidates everything with um, they're all going to flip at the same time. So when it's night, all the weird stuff is out. And when it's day, all the like, you know, alter egos are out there. And uh, we'll see what else they do with that. There's a whole bunch of cards going on right now. But um, next on our list of mechanics, Disturb. So what this does is it's another way to transform a card, to transform the backside. So it's like a, they're all creatures. 
and you will have a creature that is on the front side, and it will have Disturb, and it will have almost like a flashback cost that lets you play it from your graveyard transformed. And so what it is is like a creature that's basically transformed by death in some way, right, essentially. So mm-hmm. Bait Hook Angler is the example one that we saw. It's one in a blue. Creature, Human Peasant, it has Disturbed, one in a blue. And it's a 2-1. And then the flip side of it is called Hook Haunt Drifter, and that's a spirit, and it's flying, and it's a one-two, and it says if it would be put into a graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. So all these creatures um, end up being exiled instead, I believe, which is important because you don't have any weird loops or being able to replay them over and over again or something like that. But yeah. um, I think this mechanic seems like it could be interesting. Uh, we'll see. It's We haven't seen any notable cards quite yet. What's wild is we just really haven't seen anything like this before. We've seen tons of ways to you know, get creatures back. We've seen like eternalize and all that kind of stuff, but this, this is actually a different creature with yeah. a different text box. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of eternal or eternal or, um, entomb or not entomb. In, what was it called? Embalm. So, embalm. That's what it's called. So those, those mechanics, it reminds me of quite a bit, yeah. but it's cool to, to, that's a, another way to flip a card. Just a flashback creature more or less, but then the creature can be, can be weirded out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, we have. I don't think we see anything that's even remotely uh, good yet with Disturb, and I think it, if they either played it safe or it's a limited mechanic. But if, if a card is good enough to see play on the front and Disturb side, I mean, notably, it doesn't have to die. You could just mill it in right. some way. You could, you know, there's all sorts of ways, as we know, to get cards in your graveyard. So if something is good enough, efficient enough, powerful enough on the Disturb half, then why not? Yep. Another debatable in terms of useful for our formats uh, is Coven. Uh, uh, excuse know. me. I think it's Coven. <laughs> Why would they pronounce it like oven? That doesn't make what? any sense. Are you kidding me or not? I can't tell. It's you have no idea what I'm talking about. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about, Stan? I don't, actually. <laughs> you guys have never seen American movie? No. That, like document. Oh, man. All right. Well, check it out. Google it later. Google it. Google it, everybody. It's an amazing early two thousand or uh, late nineties documentary about an independent filmmaker that uh, I'm trying to make a movie called Coven that he constantly referred to as Coven. (laughs) Um, So it's a really good, really good documentary. Well, Dave's dating himself. Uh, It's going well, and so (laughs) Coven is uh, this. It basically, if you have three or more creatures with different powers, meaning like power, toughness, power, then a card can have a triggered ability, an activated ability, instant and sorceries can have coven effects, but like this really seems like a limited concept. Like it's it's very risky to build around having three creatures with different powers on the battlefield, uh, but we'll see. Maybe it'll be something that's so good that we'll want to build around it in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Decayed is another new word. This is a one that's coming up a lot. It has to do with zombies, basically. Yeah, they're, um, they're basically they're uh, weaker than before. Yep. But it, they did kind of nail some of the flavor where it's like you get to use them once, they can't block, they die when they go away. So um, that's, that's the whole thing. When they attack, they're sacrificed at the end of combat. There's a bunch of cards that make a zombie creature token or make a creature that's in your graveyard come back as itself, but only with Decayed. For example, Gisa Glorious Resurrector, 
Two generic black black legendary creature human wizard. If a creature an opponent controls would die, exile it instead. And then at the beginning of your upkeep, put all creature cards exiled with Giza Glorious Resurrector onto the battlefield under your control. They gain decayed. It's a four four. This card is sweet. Like I think it's a very cool card. Um, they can come back over and over again with this. So when they die after their sacrifice, she just brings them back again, um, which is interesting. I, I don't know if this is gonna cut it in the power level of the formats that we've attached ourselves to, because even Historic is extremely powerful right now. But I think this is a sweet card and a really interesting um, way to deliver on a character that's been around for a long time in Innistrad. So. Yeah, it's cool. Um, Ward's here as well. I think Ward is just... It's evergreen, evergreen. now. They, they, they yeah. basically said like it's evergreen. I think if if it's great. It's a great like this adjustment to Hexproof. I think it's been a good addition to the game already. I think it's cool. It's kind of like on theme, like for something to have Ward sort of seems like it should be in like a horror type set. Mm-hmm. Isn't the idea that um, they just don't want to use Hexproof anymore in standard sets? Yes. Yeah, or protection for that yeah. matter. I think yeah. they want to avoid both of those as much as they can. What's cool about Ward too is it lets you do things that are synergistic with the card. Like something might have Ward that is discard a card. And so it might be in a style, it might be a style of card that would make sense in a discard deck. And so if you're you're keeping your opponent's hand really lean, they might not want to discard a card. They might not be able to discard a card to uh, then target the creature. So I like that because it's it lets it be more flexible. It lets it scale to the power of the card or the, the stage of the game. It's, it's a really smart adjustment that I'm honestly surprised took this long, but it just shows how many things you can think about with yeah. relation to this game. Yeah. Magic Stand- is magic. Stan, what's the last mechanic? It might be one that you're familiar with. Flashed backed. My favorite. Yeah. Yeah. We did it. Somehow it's back. Yeah. It's and it's actually it's not flash bad, it's actual flashback. Exactly. Which I don't think they had in Shadows Over Innistrad. They did not. I kind of felt like we weren't gonna see I mentioned this last last week that we weren't ever wouldn't ever see flashback in a standard legal set again. So yeah. we will see. And there's already been one card that's spoiled that I think is powerful because it has flashback at least one flashbackable it's eminently flashbackable that's what it says on my twitter bio all right so let's get into some cards who wants to talk about actual cards cards? stan stan i know you didn't put a ton into this is there a card that you're because you were working on the historic breakdown is there a card that you've been super excited about just in case we lose you can we start with one of the cards that you're most excited about what do you think I have not seen a card that I'm excited about. Okay. Like really? Honestly. And not even consider? Well Would you consider okay, consider? I, I take that back. Yeah. Like the new opt and the new shock, those I think are both amazing. So consider why don't you tell us about consider. Play with fire. Sure. Consider single blue instant. Look at the top card of your library. You may put it into your graveyard. So it's just surveil. And then draw a card. Um, I've been seeing people say that this is potentially the like not only a modern playable card, but better than uh, Serum Visions. Definitely better than Opt. Yeah. Um, I think it's really good. I like that we have a new replacement for Brainstorming Historic. Um, Phoenix is something that's been, in my experience, mostly absent from the Historic Ladder since the banning of Brainstorm. Um, And maybe this is even something that can make Phoenix playable again in modern because we have a new critical mass of single blue cantrips so we'll see 
I this is a card that I really thought was going to be in Guilds of Ravnica. When they spoiled Surveil as a mechanic, I was like, where's gonna where's our single single blue instant that just does surveil yeah. one draw card? Instead, they made it cost two. Yeah. If I remember Jerks. right, as part of a split card. Uh, it might have been Surveil two draw card. But I still think I think this card has been a long time coming. I'm excited to see it as well, and I will be looking to play it all over the place. Yeah, I mean it's gonna go really well in like those is it Delver Murktide shells, it's going to go with Dragon's Rage Channeler, is like with peas and carrots. It's gonna be it's gonna be a really good card. There are people who are like, it's not better than Thought Scour, it is better than Thought Scour, it's definitely better than Opt. You know, that it's it's just gonna be a card you're going to see a lot of, and it just works with a lot of what decks like this are trying to do. Yeah. It's a, it's a very good card. Thought scour, more like not scour. You're right, Dave. That's great. All right. <laughs> scour. Play that's, with fire. That's Next. the shock, right? Yeah, why don't we talk about that first? This is red instant. Play with fire deals two damage to any target. If a player is dealt damage this way, scry one. So it is a functionally better shock. Ever so slightly functionally better. Uh, functionally superior. What do they say? Strictly better. Strictly better mm-hmm. shock. Ever so slightly. Which um, is not a new thing, I think. Like, Wild Slash has been a strictly better shock for a long time. Um, but what's... I mean, the, the Scry 1 is just so good. Like, that's that's a lot. Like, I, I I heard people that I trust and respect being like, yeah, Modern Burn could play this because you just want to, like, Scry. I'm like, I don't know. Two damage is still two damage instead I of three. I fully agree. I don't think this card oh. has the chops for Modern at all because Agreed. the rate just isn't right for the for the format. However... Why play Shock anymore? So yeah, there are so many decks in Historic that play Shock, you know, and also a lot of decks, I think, that play Shock and or Wild Slash, as you just mentioned, in Pioneer. Like, this oh, card yeah. is just better than those. I would play these over that every every time, basically. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, the, the amount of time that uh, removes protection, like, damage can't be prevented thing on Wild Slash, I think that comes up very infrequently. Whereas mm-hmm. Scrying 1... Always good. Yeah. Always going to want to do that. Yeah. So fun, interesting card. Nice to see them innovate on shock. Shane, let's yeah. go to the top of your list. The first this card is, you wanted okay, to talk so, about. The most powerful card. The thing. What you think no, is the this, most powerful card in the set. This is a lie. I know. <laughs> so like the reason I put these cards up front, these are the ones we got spoiled early. And they were, they were all very efficient. Like you've noticed right. that Consider is one mana. Play with Fire is one mana. Infernal Grasp, two mana. But it's one in the black instant. Destroy target creature. You lose two life, so you, mm-hmm. you, you do lose two life. But this is clean and simple. This is probably the best one in a black removal spell we have ever had. I mean, probably. This is like the Thoughtseize to the other spells Inquisitions, right? Like, they, they all have some drawback. But this one is just you lose two life as your payment. Um, that's just what they can tack on to any black spell to make it feel like you're paying some kind of tax. I mean, this is we're, we're in a world where Terminate is seeing play again. Right. Not uncommon. Uh, so I can see this actually having modern considerations. This is not just going to be a pioneer and, and historic card. Uh, what's good about this, I think, is that there is a risk for control decks playing this card. Because two life is not insignificant against like aggressive decks. You don't want to be just casually losing two life. You sure. don't want to give your opponent a free ram in that Bruins. Yeah, I mean so. it's it's hard it's hard to do this, but you're right. There are reasons that we have to play terminate right now in modern, and so maybe maybe this comes around instead because the man is better, 
and most of the decks that play Terminate are aggressive enough that they're probably not going to sweat the life total so much or worry about it, worry about it too much. And I don't think you're going to necessarily jam this into like Death Shadow, for example, because Death Shadow has plenty of ways to do damage to itself. It's not an incentive to play this card, yeah. but um, I mean, I think this card is broadly fine, right? Like these one in a black, two CMC black removal spells, one or two of them are always floating around and yeah. welcome to the party, Infernal Grasp. Exactly. And then the last one from this first batch that is part of the efficient package is Champion of the Perished. Mm-hmm. It's a one of the it's just a black creature zombie one one. You might you might get this. When another zombie ETBs under your control, put a one one counter on Champion of the Perished. You get the pun, right? Mm-hmm. It's a it's a great card name. Probably pretty good card. Like Champion of the Perish and Humans is a really important one drop. It quickly scales into relevance. Uh, for all the zombie fans out there, this card's going to do that too. I don't. I mean, I don't know if zombies itself has what it takes to be even what humans can be in our formats, which is fine. Uh, but I know people are going to try it. Yeah, so. for sure. People have been wanting to try it for a long time. They've always just made a bunch of complicated zombies. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. remember the like the one drops that they had from Shadows of Rinistrad the last time, and the two drop that was a mythic that was really good. Like, this is just a straight up. Simple beater will give you a good one drop zombies for maybe the first time. So it's also, I mean, it's a brilliant card name and the art's cool. Yeah. So it's, it's fun. It's a good callback. Uh, sorry for their parish though. Uh, can we talk about the lands for a minute before we go on? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you don't even want to talk about the last big name card out of the first drop or nah, is we'll, it not even, it'll well, come back. We'll get that next. Let's get these lands. Cause I think these are, Debatable. I think they're debatable too. So this cycle of lands in Midnight Hunt are allied color. It's an allied color cycle of dual lands. And what they do is they come into play tapped or tapped if you have less than two or less cart or lands in play, right? <laughs> no, two, if you control two or more, they, they come in tapped. They, they come in untapped. So, okay. Yeah, so basically, they have to be your third land. They have to be your third land or more to come in untapped, yes. Yeah, let's just cut to the chase. Yes, I was doing that off the dome. I didn't read the actual rules text. But yes, it's a it's a <laughs> cycle of dual lands that come into play untapped if they are your third or later land. Yeah. So, unlike a lot of lands, like in when you're playing a, a fast and low-curve format, like uh, historic, excuse me, yeah, like historic or modern... Uh, where you want fast lands that come into play untapped, mm-hmm. these you want to bring in late. So you don't want to have them early. Right. Which I think is still fine, generally speaking. Sure. Um, I think that it's, you know, th- these are probably just better than like check lands, unfortunately, which are cards that I kind of love in the back of my mind. Really? You think you they know? are? Well, because a check land can only come in unplayed on turn two, right? This one, you can play more utility lands and not worry about an awkward draw that's like Castle, Emberith, Ramanap, Ruins, and one of these, where if you have a buddy land in that, a check land in that scenario, you're you're really in a lot of pain there. So I think the fact that they sure. don't have to synergize with a land type is actually something that helps them a lot. That's and, a good point. And I think that the way that the dumb mana has worked out in historic and 
um, Pioneer, you know, these are two formats that don't have access to the allied color Fastlands. And so I think if you want to play a deck that is ally colored mostly and needs, you know, you want the dual lands for it, you have to sequence your plays differently to make it work. But these are lands that can somewhat reliably come in untapped on turn on turn three and provide you with whatever fixing you need for a three drop, which I think is pretty important in those two formats. So I, I think they'll be fine in Historic and Pioneer until we get fast lands that are ally colored, if that ever happens. Um, I don't think these rate for modern at all, of course. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. It's It's interesting that... It's an interesting news cycle. Uh, I'm surprised we haven't seen something like this exactly yet, but I was looking through the cy- every cycle of Dual Lands, so I was like, oh, this is new. We mm-hmm. haven't done this before. They so still why not? They still figure it out. Yeah. What are our rare lands going to be? Oh, this time, this one. All right. That card I was mentioning as part of the initial dump of from preview cards was Ren and Seven. So it's the new iteration of Ren, Ren and Seven, but... It's not as efficient as the last one. <laughs> it's three green green for uh, Legendary Planeswalker Ren. has five loyalty. The plus one, reveal the top four cards of your library. Put all land cards revealed this way into your hand, the rest into your graveyard. The zero is put any number of land cards from your hand onto the battlefield tapped. The minus three is create a green tree folk creature token with reach. And this creature's power and toughness are each equal to the number of lands you control. The minus eight returns all permanent cards from your graveyard to your hand. You get an emblem with you have no maximum hand size. What's that? Is that a spell, Dave? Like These are spells, right? Not not Many always. I don't recognize what one this is. Okay. But Yeah, so uh, interesting planeswalker. Yeah, the loyalty's five. Yeah. And I just want to say really quickly, I don't think this card's gonna be $120 like Ren <laughs> and Six is. But no, probably not. But I mean this isn't Ren and Six in modern, and it's probably not even a modern card for existing decks that I can think of, but Ren and Seven has the loyalty and efficiency of abilities that does some impressive things. Like it synergizes really well in itself. Like it is a an army type card in a can. It's filtering through your deck. It's it's you're not you're the temptation I think is to be like I'm going to make a lot of lands really fast. But bear in mind that you have to the the one and the zero are on different turns. So like you're sort of like digging for probably maybe two lands in like at a 30 land deck and then you're putting them onto the battlefield the next turn so it's just like you're always going to hit your land drops sure but you're not like just going to be spamming the battlefield with with ramp uh and it's also pretty late for a ramp pay for a ramp enabler uh so but what's cool is like if you're in a deck that has a lot of blockers that sort of has a lot of utility lands and the ability to say, like, I just want to get a lot of mana on the board and then start maybe minus three-ing it for the treeful creature tokens. It's pretty cool. But, man, I keep thinking about, like, Nessie Who Shakes the World. Do you know what I mean? It's like, right. isn't, that, isn't that better than this? Yeah, I think about her a lot, too. <laughs> it was Sorry, safe. what were we talking about? It's a different era. <laughs> uh, the only thing that I glanced at briefly with this, as far as modern goes, is that there's a lands-based deck that's starting to get popular with... Um, Elvish Reclaimer and Titania, Protector of Argoth. And I wonder if there's some space for something like this that just lets you, another way to let you leverage just having a lot of lands in play. I don't know if this would be just a one of to try out or something like that, but just a different kind of threat package to bring in to a deck like that could could be something. Not sure. 
Five CMC is a lot, though. At least it has four abilities. Okay. Yeah, we got we got through the early stuff. We got through some of the cool, efficient spells that are likely going to see some play in our formats. We got through the lands, and then I think stuff gets a little bit more tame. Hmm. But I think there's, I think there's some, a few important cards. There's some, there's some cool stuff here for sure. What what's, what are some of your favorites, Dave? Uh, well, the, I guess the first card I wanted to talk about is one that a lot of people are talking about, and it's called Poppet Stitcher. No. Yes. Really? I mean, really? just as far as hype goes, I'd like to talk about it. So, Poppet Stitcher, two generic and a blue for a human wizard. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token with Decayed. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you control three or more creature tokens, you may transform Poppet Stitcher. It's a 2-3. And then on the back, it says Poppet Factory Artifact. Creature tokens you control lose all abilities and have base power and toughness 3-3. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may transform Poppet factory shane not even interested in this as a monastery mentor clone in a different color oh my god no <laughs> i mean because the monastery mentor tokens are like sort of better on their own well you can know. flip this over you can make an army with this and then transform yeah. it into yeah. and it and all of the tokens lose decayed yeah and then they don't yeah. die and they're just three threes after that and this thing doesn't die to creature removal once you flip it over. Sure. Right. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know for sure, but I think it's an interesting card. Definitely. That has a lot of different angles of, of play. Um, and maybe being in blue makes it a little bit more likely to be get played with a bunch more free spells than something like monastery mentor does, which has never really had a home in uh, modern. What I, here's my issue Even a with, little bit at all. Yeah. Yeah. My, my, my issue with this card is that I feel like it would need to be part of a more redundant strategy, which then would make the strategy not as good potentially mm -hmm. where it's like, I want lots of token makers or I want things that make tokens when I cast spells. Like what's that? What's that one that makes like thopters uh, when you draw your second card or something like that? Is that sure. the one that, yeah, like makes fairies? Um, yeah, it makes fairies, right? Yeah. And then, so, like, let's say you just sort of try to make a deck that's just like, I'm going to make a bunch of cruddy tokens and then I'm going to make them into legitimate threats, right? And then I'm going to attack all at once and kill you. Yeah, then I'm going to alpha strike. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's feasible, but I don't know if like the juice is worth the squeeze in something like that, where yeah. it's like, I think that this is. This is certainly both an engine and a payoff, which is nice, right? Like it's good to have something like that. It does. That's not always common, uh, and so in that, I don't. I don't hate it, but um, I'm not. I'm not sure that it it has what it takes to be relevant in a world where people are just winning on turn four. Yeah, yeah. I do think it's interesting to have access to this effect in historic now, which we didn't have access to at all before. We didn't have a create a 2-2 creature whenever an instant or sorcery is cast. We, Especially for a slightly cheaper mana cost. We had uh, what Murmuring Mystic from that makes yeah. birds. Yeah. But we'll see. I mean, Historic is clearly think, about think, something else right now. But Do but, you think it being a 2-2 token is that much more important over just a young Pyromancer? Uh, you know, that's always the essential question, right? And maybe it just goes in a deck with young pyromancer and you're just making a bunch of tokens and then turning them into three threes because that that is another payoff like shane was talking about where you make a bunch of elementals and zombies and then you flip poppet factory over and attack for with a bunch of three threes instead so you could get there pretty fast too yeah i don't know thought it was an interesting card 
thought it was a powerful card. I don't think I have uh, access to it right now, like knowing where exactly where it's going to go. Um, I think the one other card I wanted to talk about that I thought was actually a pretty good card was um, Rite of Harmony, which is green-white for an instance, and it mm-hmm. says, whenever a creature or enchantment enters the battlefield under your control this turn, draw a card. And then it has flashback to green W. And so this is Glimpse of Nature at instant speed, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is banned in Modern, and it also has flashback. Which, I know that Modern has access to Beck Call, which the back side of Beck Call is basically this for a blue and a green instead of a green and a white. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have flashback. And um, it just seems like there's some interesting stuff that can be done here with uh, a card like this that's at instant speed instead, and also in green-white. And it's another card that made me wonder about... uh, It's a new effect in some ways to Historic, too, where you could play this in Elves or something like that and draw a bunch of extra cards. So I think this card is kind of getting slept on a little bit, but... Yeah, I'm trying to think about what Glimpse of Nature does in Legacy Elves... Is, is, that's a sorcery, right? I think I'm pretty sure. I've been, you know, it's been banned in in modern the whole time, so I haven't paid a huge amount of. Yeah, it's. it's I mean, it's really great with something like you know the the token makers in elves. Like the fact that this is a green white card, which is token making colors, I think is really right. important. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's a sorcery for one green. Yeah, and this only covers creatures. Not like you're going to cast a ton of enchantments, but you know. I mean, this is another piece of tech for the Enchantress-style decks in Modern. Uh, like, they need more ways to draw cards. I don't know. Yeah, maybe you can play this with, like, um, that Vesper Lark combo deck that I mentioned earlier. Mm. Where it's just, like, you go infinite while also drawing a ton of cards. Yeah. Yeah, there's probably ways to break it and also ways to just play it for value, like you said, with token makers or, or things like that. Um, but I think this card is really good. I just always have a hard time imagining like i I just i've never played a card where it's like okay you're gonna spend a decent amount of mana that still requires you to have more mana after the fact to like really take advantage of it and i'm so used to those sort of being effects like the one you just mentioned like pop it stitcher right where it's like i'm gonna pay three mana and then if i untap with this then cool stuff happens. Or if I have a few, if I have extra mana and cast some spells with it, then cool stuff happens with this. It's like, I have to do this all on the, at the same time. And so it's like, I, I want to sandbag spells and I want to sandbag mana. And what am I doing in the meantime? Right. And so I'm sure that there are people who figure this out, but it's not me. Well, you don't have to sandbag spells. You, need, you want token makers, right? Like that's, uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the thing here. So it's not necessarily, spe- you're turning tokens into cards sometimes with this. That's a good point. But yeah, it's probably going to be awesome for EDH. Like, I know people love their Selesnya based token making decks. So that'll be dope. Let's talk about Curse of Silence. Okay. That's just another efficient spell, which always makes my, you know, me look at it more than once. And Curse of Silence is a single white mana enchantment. It's an aura curse. We don't see a lot of these. Uh, it enchants a player. So when Curse of Silence ETBs, you choose a card name. Spells with a chosen name that the enchanted player casts cost two generic more to cast. Whenever the enchanted player casts a spell with a chosen name, you may sacrifice Curse of Silence if you do draw a card. So what is this doing? It's a taxing effect that slows your opponent down uh, for a single spell 
And then even if they do cast that spell at some point, you replace it and it costs a single white mana. Seems pretty useful. You can definitely slow down those opposing combo decks. It's not a huge tempo loss for you. Like you can slip this in. You can do this on turn two. You can do this do this on turn three while you're still doing other stuff. What's also interesting here is like combo decks that run white could na- use this to name hate or like counter magic. They expect to see right. Mm-hmm. So like you know, it, it's I think that's kind of interesting. Where it's like, oh, like I could just use this and name force of negation or something like that. And you no longer get your free forest to protect your to protect yourself against my combo. Yeah. I think there's utility here on both sides. I think this card is good, and I think that it's interesting that you, if they ever pay the two, you get to draw the card, which is is nice to be able to oh, yeah. kind of go on and do that. Yeah, or you don't even have to. You can just leave it on the board. You get the choice where it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna keep taxing your mana and making it hard for you to do like pay for your rhinos or something like that. Like I'm gonna keep your your mana at bay. Right. So you can't be using Brazen Bower or like stomping or something like that. There's this card that's been spoiled that looks horrible to me. And I would love just a second opinion. Oh, so let's talk about it. Then. I, I'd love a sanity check because it almost feels like I'm overlooking something. And that's Croaking Counterpart. Mm. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know what it is. I don't think you're overlooking anything. It is well, terrible. One green blue, create a token that's a copy of target non frog creature, except it's a 1 1 green frog. And then it has flashback for five. Yeah. Yeah. It, this is a rare. Yeah. Yeah. It keeps the text. So you could just have your own Sarah's emissary. A 1 1 Sarah's emissary that has protection from creatures. Everything. Right. Yeah. Anything. Anything. Whatever. Yeah. So it, it can fly. It's got protection. Yes. But it's yes. just a one one. But it's a one frog. one. Yeah. So frog. it's just like so yeah. it's like, you know, Ripped or it could be a it could be a primeval titan where every time this one one frog attacks, you get two lands out of your out of your, you know, deck or whatever. Okay. okay. Yeah, it is bad though. And it's, it's still bad. It, it's kind of a callback to Cackling Counterpart, which is a, a card that I think was in Time Spiral that has uh is a mono blue card, does the same type of thing where it makes a copy of something and then it has flashback and it makes a copy of something again. Um it's a bit of an inside joke, I think. Great art. What a silly looking card, but yeah. It's the kind of rare that makes me not want to open up packs. I know. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, I don't want this. I know. It, it, is, it also like smells like a card that's just going to get busted somehow. Yeah, I don't think it is, though. Like Just because I think if it was, Cackling Counterpart would have been busted by now, mm. too. And it, it, never, it really hasn't been. Okay. Do you want to talk about a probably okay card? Okay. Okay, Vampire Socialite. Black and a red for a Vampire Noble 2-2 with Menace. Uh, When it ETBs, if an opponent lost life this turn, put a 1-1 counter on each other vampire you control. That does not include her. Uh, As long as an opponent lost life this turn, each other vampire you control ETBs with an additional 1-1 counter on it. People are pretty amped about this card. Yeah, it's kind of like a Thalia's Lieutenant of Vampires in a weird For sure. way. Yeah, they get their champion, they around. get their they get their Thalia's Lieutenant. Zombies Actually, and vampires yeah. are not the same no, thing. No, you're, you're right. Well, you <laughs> Just because they're both undead doesn't mean they're the same change. Yeah, undead <laughs> loving it, man. Ugh, sorry, y'all. Um, apologies to my vampire friends out there. Uh, this is probably really good for historic and pioneer vamps. Like, those are legitimate decks. 
Uh, I know that you know Mickey S always seems to just go back to the vampire well and do well with it. Uh, ha ha. Um, those are legitimate and legitimate decks. I think this adds a lot to them. The menace is key to triggering those abilities, and I think it's it's perfectly cool. Yeah, why not? I mean, it's a lot of text for for black and a red. So That's it feels uncommon. like feels like something's going to happen with it for sure. Definitely a signpost, uncommon and a good one. Those can be really good and frequently are. I'd love to point out that blade stitched scab, um, blue black for a two three zombie soldier. Other zombies you control get plus one plus zero. This is the first two mana zombie lord. Whoa, is that true? Why not? I think there's a two mana zombie lord in Amonkhet. Isn't there a black white one? Uh, does, it's does, like a mummy. Doesn't that just trigger when zombies ETB? Maybe. Yeah, I mean I, that it's card like, caught my eye though too, just because it was a two a two mana zombie lord that seemed like there aren't a lot of them at any rate. Two mana zombie lord is my favorite track off Ride the Lightning. It's my favorite three Floyd's beer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you get the Dave, lord and the dust, Dave. You've you've called out some cards that I skipped, and I'm curious. I want to hear your takes on some of these potentially playables. Well, we talked about a couple of them already. Like Diagraph Rebirth. Yeah, so Diagraph Rebirth I thought was interesting because just because it's a two-mana reanimation spell, basically. Like, if you can make it into that, that's what you're doing, right? So Diagraph Rebirth is three colorless, black-green. The spell is a sorcery. It costs one less to cast for each creature that died this turn, and it just says return target creature from your graveyard to the battlefield. And then it has flashback for fly, five black green, which can also be reduced uh, if for creatures that die this turn. So I, I don't know where this fits exactly, but it feels like there's some kind of deck that would be good with, you know, a sacrifice outlet, some kind of reanimation thing, and having access to a two mana spell that just brings back a card with no restrictions. Seems like pretty powerful to me especially something that you can bring back later um it the key is to make it cheaper than unburial rights right because unburial rights already is like a four mana spell and then a five mana spell and so what you got to do is figure out a shell around it that makes it worthwhile to do it but it seems it seems like a maybe interesting possible sure sure, sure dave <laughs> i mean my, here's my does this issue have no, does this have no chance to make it in like the decks that you've been playing the I always want them to. Like, I even called this out in our uh, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms thing, right? Where it's like, hey, this card is like a bone picker type thing. Where it's like, you know, you're already killing stuff, and an ETB is really cheap. And it's just like, I just feel like that payoff never happens. Like, it's just because mm. it's too conditional, even though it sure. seems like it would not be. I don't get it. Like, it just it never works out the way I want it to. It doesn't mean this one won't. Yeah, I can understand that, too. Would this, I'd like it yeah, to work. Maybe. All right. And I'm mildly curious about Brutal Cathar. Like you you pointed this one out. I had it I was looking at it pretty for a little bit of time. Um it's two and a white for a human soldier werewolf, a white werewolf. That's a new color area for werewolves, I believe. When an ETBs are transforms into Brutal Cathar. So both on ETB and when it transforms, you exile a target creature and opponent controls until this creature leaves the battlefield. Uh, it is daybound. It's a 2-2. The flip side is Moonrage Brute, which is a werewolf, 3-3 three, three with first strike. It has ward of pay three life, so the opponent has to pay three life in order to target it. 
mm-hmm. with an, a, a spell or ability. That's it. Uh, and then when it's and then it flips back over to the daytime side when you know if if a player casts two spells or someone casts a daybound card of some sort. So basically, every time it flips back onto its front face or it ETBs in its front face, you will exile a creature an opponent controls. Then, so let, let's say you do this a couple times and you have two creatures under it or something like that, and then it's removed, then both of those creatures or more would then go back to your, into your opponent's control. Right. Yeah, so it's fragile and a little scary in that sense, especially for constructed play. Obviously, this kind of effect is really good for limited, you know, but I think that you can play this in a really aggressive deck and potentially be able to get one card, have this flip, have a really potent attacker in Moonrage Brute, and then maybe it gets flipped back over and you get another bonus card. But hopefully what you're doing is basically removing your opponent's blockers so that your team can keep attacking and attacking and attacking. And so I think as far as like a, a three drop and a deck that's kind of aggressive, could be worthwhile. You know, Sold Human is a relevant type. I don't think Werewolf is a relevant type in Historic or Pioneer yet. Maybe they will be, but seems like it could be a good a good way to go. You know, a 3-3 first striker is pretty easy to attack in with, and then the fact that your opponent has to pay three life to to kill it once it's the werewolf on the back. Um, seems good for an aggressive kind of shell. Right on. Okay. Uh, curse yeah. of Shaken Faith was a That's card that caught go, my yeah. mind. Yeah, so another curse here, a generic and a red. It's an enchantment, and it says whenever enchanted player casts a spell other than the first spell they cast each turn or copies a spell, Curse of Shaken Faith deals two damage to them. So great against Cascade, cascade decks. I mean, just do you, you know, they get they get four, two, four, four rhinos, you shock them. I mean, yeah. GG's. Yeah. I mean, this is like against decks. That's not what it's for. Where pe- no, I think this is like a sideboard card for places, for decks that, um, you know, are going up against decks that are going to. Cr- cast a lot of spells like maybe this would have been yeah. this would have been really good against prowess at one point in time for example uh because they can't interact with this and it's it's one-sided so it doesn't affect you the way that eidolon affects you but i think that you have to be in a more kind of like controlly deck because you're not attacking in with this the way that you can with eidolon so i think just out of the board as a piece of hey i want to go come down on decks that cast a lot of spells or even decks that only cast a couple of spells a turn just to like get some extra damage in i think this could be good um but it just caught my eye because it seemed like a novel version and for two mana seemed reasonably good and one-sided so what i like about this is so cinder vines is a card that has seen play right in order to sort of stop uh create like spell-based like storm-based style combo decks, right? Right. That's only one damage. Well, and it's and, all, and this is also any spell and Cindervines yes. is only non-creature spells. Yes. So what's that's what's cool about this, I agree, is that it's two damage, which adds up a lot faster, mm-hmm. twice as fast even. Mm-hmm. In fact. Um, and yeah, so it's I think there's there's precedent for those cards seeing play in certain metagames at certain times, and this is easier to cast. You don't have to be in Gruel Mana. You can just be in any red-based. So yeah, this is something that I think there are effects like this, like Idol of the Great Revel, like I think you mentioned, Dave. And it's just like, it's the kind of thing where this might have a niche. Eidolon's not legal in every format. Effects like this are 
in varying power levels and different formats. So, yeah, sure. Okay. I got one. Okay. <gasps> um, this is for some of our more low-powered formats, and it's Flame Channeler. One in a red for a 2-2 Human Wizard. When, it, when a spell you control deals damage, transform Flame Channeler. And then it turns into a 3-3 Elemental Wizard. Whenever a spell you control deals damage, put a flame counter on Embodiment of Flame, which is the flip side. And then you can pay one, remove a flame counter, exile a top card, play that card this turn. And I wonder if in a lower-powered format, this could be a new tool for a red deck burn strategy. I, I looked at it, and I was you know intrigued by it. I just didn't know if it had what it... I didn't know if it did what it was doing efficiently enough and like fast enough at the same time. So I, I'll, I'm waiting and see, but sure, it's, a, it's an interesting tool for sure. I think this, it's important because this card is a wizard, as I love to point out. Yes. You can get access to Wizard's Lightning with this. You get Wizard's Lightning, you can transform it on turn three. So on turn three, it becomes a two-mana three-three. Mm-hmm. When you have also theoretically dealt some damage, and we do have like a new one-mana bad burn spell that also scries. So... Which also like that that alone kind of synergizes with this too, where you can like kind of scry away some something bad, um, or like position yourself to get something off of the uh, the embodiment of flame effect. I don't think this is a modern card, but I feel like there might be something for pioneer or historic. Definitely, uh, depending on where historic ends up, right? But it, that seems like a cool card. There's been a couple a couple of cards spoiled tonight. The only one that caught my eye of cards spoiled tonight is called Ghoul Caller's Harvest. It's a black and a green to create X 2-2 black zombie creature tokens with Decayed, where X is half the number of creature cards in your graveyard rounded up. Seems fun for a self-mill strategy, especially since it has flashback itself for three generic black-green. If you can find a way to, you know, make a bunch of tokens and goblin bombard somebody, you know sack outlet and blood harvest or a blood artist or something else seems like a really cheap way to make a bunch of creatures in something that mills a lot of its own library just something to think about yeah i mean it'll be something i I thought about it card (laughs) all right i think we have a little bit of time left i think there's a lot to talk about the card we've saved for last and i think potentially the most interesting and format shaping card maybe of the last week or so of spoilers, and that is Faithful Mending. White and a blue. For an instant. Instant. You gain you gain two life. Oh, that sounds bad, Shane. Oh, you also draw two cards? That's a little bit better. Oh, then you have to discard oh, two that, cards. That's unplayable. Yeah, unplayable. Flashback. Oh, what? One, white, and a blue. You can cast this from your graveyard for its flashback cost. Okay. It's our Faithful Looting card. It's at instant speed. It has an efficient flashback cost. This card is super hard to evaluate, I think, because there is somewhere, we all know that there's a line somewhere between Faithless Looting and Is It Charm, right? <laughs> and where does this card fall on on that line where it's like, Is It Charm is not really playable in many places. Faithless Looting is extremely playable in many places. And this card is... Like, okay, it's in weird color combination. It's got flashback. You get incidental life gain, and it's an instance. Yeah. It's all pieces of all those things. Yeah. And I, I think this card has relevance in some way, shape, or form in all of our formats, but I don't know if it's going to be exactly the way 
we think it is, or mm-hmm. that it's kind of initially comes to mind, right? Because it's like you said, Dave, it's not in red, it's in Azorius colors. Uh, but what I think there's a lot of decks in historic, like the various Mizzix Mastery strategy, control in general. Uh, I saw on someone on Reddit mentioned God Pharaoh's gift, which is just like, oh yeah, brilliant. Why not? Here's why not. Or just something to keep in mind is oh, these decks already have access to Prismari Command, which is already a better Faithless Looting, or not Faithless Looting, a better is it charm, charm right now in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. And so it's another piece of that where I kind of I want to love this card. Like when I first read this card, I was like, "Whoa, they fi- they did it!" You know. But then I started thinking about it a lot more, and I was like, "There's a lot of cards at higher CMCs that are doing a lot of the things that this card does. How does this get better?" You know, well, it's in white. Like, so let's say specifically Godfrey's gift that doesn't want to run isn't mana. It wants to run white mana, right? And so, like, that's just one reason, right? Um, in something like let's say modern, let's just jump up to modern, right? Uh, then this is like a boon to reanimator strategies because Orzov has already pivoted to Esper at certain points to try to test the reanimator strategies to become more controlling. This is going to be great at instant speed. So like you're holding up instant speed to kind of to counter something the opponent's doing and then they don't do anything because they don't want to get countered and then you just bust this out at your end step you discard a few cards in your graveyard you untap you potentially have 3 or 4 mana to hold up more counter magic and do your persist type effect I think that's dope. I know Spike was uh, doing an Esper Reanimator uh, deck a few weeks ago. This is definitely going to be something that goes into that type of strategy. I think Dredge can certainly run this. Dredge has already proven that it can stretch its mana in whatever direction it wants because of all the rainbow lands. Uh, there's just a lot there. I think even, like, let's say, let's Dance of the Mance. Is this going to be a thing that like can actually make Dance of the Mance potentially playable? Like, I think that the, the colors being weird is potentially also a boon rather than just kind of like, it's in whites, so therefore it's bad. I think it's not really the case anymore i think it's this is one of those things where it's white and it's really good and it has flashback so it's gonna just bring different opportunities yeah and i think it's also really good like it's just really good to run in a in a control deck probably just cycles it gains life that's important what what makes you think this is better than is a charm in dredge the flashback because the flashback yeah flashback is huge like that's because you're gonna dredge. Because you, you can dredge, dredge cards it. and cast it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you can dredge cards and cast it. And if you get two casts out of it, it's just bonkers. Yeah, the flashback yeah. is a big, big deal. I mean, I, note I, that I you draw that. to then discard to. So like, it's better later. It's also way better uh, flashback, which is important. Like, you don't have to have this in your opener type thing. So like, if you just like you mill it incidentally, and then you're like, well, I can cast this, and then I, you know, I'm gonna dredge twice, then I'm gonna discard my dredgers. That's dope. Like dredging yeah. and then discarding those same dredgers is yeah, chef's kiss. I think this card is a hundred percent a playable in dredge. Okay, just because of the stuff that you just explained, it's other places that make me more skeptical. Sure. Much more measured in my enthusiasm. And, you know, I, I of, of course, I first looked at this and I was like, Jeskai Phoenix, here we come. Nope. And then I was like, ah, I don't think so. I don't know. But flashback no. is huge. It's hard to tell what kind of, what kind of if, effect that's going to have. You know what I mean? Like just having, being able to have this get milled off of a thought scour might be a huge and important thing eventually. Like who, who knows, really? I mean, 
Yeah, it's it's going to be a good card. It's going to be a impactful card, and I think that that is uh, cool and bad. Like I'm just worried about it enabling more stuff in historic that annoys me. Uh, I think it, Dredge could use something like this to get back into the higher tiers of power level in modern. I don't know. I'd, I'd love Reanimator to be even better than it is. So maybe if Esper Reanimator becomes the way to do it in modern, that's dope. I don't know. I know that's our buddy Spike. I'll just speak for him. He's not on the spoiler episode, but he was saying he'd be surprised if there's a better modern card in the set than this. So we will see. Hmm. See, see what he says next week. Before we sign off, can we get some maybe some speculation? I'd, I'd love for your for us to take some shots at what might be one of Morrow's teasers that we still don't know, which is a popular Innistrad, Innistrad card is getting reprinted. I don't think we've seen that among our spoilers yet. Like the actual Innistrad reprint. Is there anything you guys want or expect? Liliana the Veil, right? Like Shuin back in standard? I mean, I was thinking Snapcaster Mage. I was thinking Snapcaster Mage might have a shot, honestly. But I don't even know anymore. Um, I'd be fine with Lily. I think... I mean, Lily's both expensive, and I think from a from an era where she could take over a game in a different way. So at least in our formats, for sure. So I'd be fine with it. Snap, I'd be more sketched out about. Like Snap in in historic is scary. Snap in pioneer is probably scary. So I, I was just joking. I don't think it's Lily. I don't even think it's Snapcaster. I think it's going to be something disappointing, like Ancient Grudge or Ghost Quarter. Mm. Isn't Grudge from Avacyn restored? Oh, maybe. No, 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 it was in Innistrad originally. Okay. I'd love to see Delver. Like, do we think Delver's too good for Pioneer or, or Historic? I don't think Delver's good. I don't think it's too good for those formats. It, Especially now that Brainstorm's gone? I mean, it did see play. You know, you can't forget that that card saw play in Standard without the quite the the um, exactly. abusive cantrips that made it a, a whole other thing in Legacy. So it's possible that it could find a home in a place like Pioneer. But um, yeah, maybe. I don't think that fits with the theme of what trans what we're seeing from cards that transform in this set, though. Either like they seem to do really specific things, like they're either daybound, nightbound, or they're the one that comes back from the graveyard, and that's the flip. But and there's a few other ones, but yeah, and that's why like flashback, a card like flashback with ancient. It's gonna be think twice. More sense. (laughs) Daybound, fighter of the night bound okay i think shane's singing so that means it's time to shut it down stan would you like to do the honors wow i I almost forgot how to do this but i'll try and that wraps up this week's show if you haven't yet make sure you subscribe to our podcast get the latest episodes as soon as they come out and if you use apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review if you'd like to reach out to us the host you can tweet us at the dive down all one word or email the dive down at gmail.com if you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash the dive down. Getting in at any level gains you entry into our definitely discreet Discord server. A lot of channels in that one. A lot of emotes. You can check them all out. Stan, Stan definitively discreet. It also is it's definitely discreet as well. Definitively. It's disturbingly discreet. Sometimes kind of hard to find. Yeah. That's secret. Also, shout out to Manitraders for sponsoring our podcast. Sign up for Mana Traders yourself with promo code THEDIVEDOWN2021, all one word. Get 15% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. Don't forget, their tournament series this month is Pioneer. So if you're a Mana Trader subscriber and you do well, get more cash. 
As always, special thanks to the bands, Nowhere and Space Blood, for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and be spooky and scary! <laughs>